exploring the faith, life, and sport of Christians in sport. This is FLS. Here's your host, Brea Burrell. In each episode of FLS, hearing from past and present Christians in sport about their faith, life, and sport. In this episode, we're taking a look back at our 2023 highlights. Shortly, hearing from dual international Brad Thorne, who has played at the highest level in both rugby union and rugby league. Brett Davis will share with us about the early days of Christian surface, but we'll get underway right now as we head back to episode one and Indian cricketer Jamima Rodriguez. On your social media, you have the verse 1 John 4.18. Can you share as to, yep. to why you have that verse? Is it, is it your favourite verse? Yeah, this is one. I mean, you can't literally have one favorite verse, but this is one of the words that has uh, set things for me in my life. Like maybe the theme of my life, I can say. Uh, it, it says, perfect love casts out all fear. So growing up, I've been a very fearful person, a very shy person, you know, uh, and this aggregated where there was uh, a death in my family when one of my very close cousins passed away right in front of my eyes. So that's when I became very insecure, couldn't sit in a classroom. Like I was, I think, how much? Six years old at that time. And I couldn't sit in a classroom full of like 30 people. I always needed my mom to be there. And I used to make a big scene. Like if I was alone there in the class and everyone around me, I should start crying really loudly. And I didn't know what I was going through at that time. You know, I was, I was trying a lot not to cry because, you know, it, it's embarrassing also at the same time. And, uh, and then my mom had to be there sitting out in the class, outside my class. And my mom also had to work. So she used to get a laptop and work out just outside my classroom. So I could see her and I know, okay, she is there. Then I'm fine. So this, this happened. This, this was carrying forth for a, a really long time, for years, I would say. And I didn't know what to do about it. Like, I tried to be strong. I tried to, like, we used to pray. We used to pray a lot about it. Even my family didn't know why is Jemima reacting this way. But they knew somewhere deeper than it's just because of what trauma she's been through and everything because I was very close to my cousin. So then that, st- that fear started developing. And I think the only thing that set me free was not trying harder. It wasn't like even uh, praying harder, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it was just getting to know Jesus and his love for me. That in all these things, he still loves me. And even before I was born, he thought of me and he died on the cross for me. And he still loves me even now, even in this, even at my lowest, even at my worst. Where, you know, everyone, uh, it's embarrassing for everyone else, but he never found it embarrassing to be with me in this time. And I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but this verse says that perfect love casts out all fear. So the only thing that helped me overcome my fear is getting to know Jesus' love even more and in a personal way. I mean, it sounds illogical, but I think for whoever's watching it, I would just tell them if if uh, uh, you don't feel God exists, I mean, talk to him, tell him, be be more real to me. And I think if he's God enough, he will reveal himself to you. And that's what he did to me. And yeah, his love, getting to know his love has set me free from my fears. And today I'm going and playing in stadiums filled with 84,000 people, like at the MCG in Australia, where I couldn't even sit in a classroom full of 30 people. I can only say that my life is a testimony of what God can do with the most broken people, broken person and turn it turns into something beautiful. So, so, so yeah, I mean, I cannot take any credit for it because I know what I look like. I know what I am. 
but I know the only thing even till today. You know, even when people talk mean things on social media, or when you don't perform, you have your low days. I think the only thing that gives me stability and confidence in life is to know that his love never changes, his love never fails. When I'm at my lowest, when I'm at my highest, his love is the same. And I think that's what gives me that balance in life. A reminder for you to hear these interviews in full, just head to our website, faithlifesport.com. Right now, time to dive into the pool as we hear from former Olympic swimmer, Dan Smith. We love in this podcast to hear about our guest Faith. And I believe it was, I suppose, was it more when you were a teenager through, um, and if it's okay for sharing, you were in drug rehabilitation. Is that when you came to Faith? And can you share with us, please, more about that part of your life? Yeah, I certainly can. You know, the, the problem with, with sport was um, you live in this delusional world that, you know, you're never good enough. Um, you always need more. You're always thinking about the next race, how to be better, faster, stronger, fitter, and then better than anyone else. That's that's how you think. You know, all your mindset, your team around you, everyone around you is invested into you as a swimmer. Um, and so as you start to find out, as your mind and your body starts to mature, it's, it's empty. Um, it doesn't satisfy you. It doesn't give you a sense of fulfillment or satisfaction or even connection with others because your whole life is revolved around sports. So, you know, you grow up in this kind of delusional world where I was a really great swimmer, but poor person. I didn't actually know how to actually become a person of character and um, resilience and, and that kind of stuff that actually sets you up to have a really healthy life. So when I was 18 years old or 17 years old, actually, and it was my time to shine, which was the 2008 Beijing Olympics, I was the most emptiest I've ever felt in my life. Um, I, I, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't have any sense of fulfillment or satisfaction from swimming. So when I stood up on the blocks, um, you know, I ended up bombing out in the final and, and got eighth place and missed my Olympic Olympic dream at 17 years old. And as you do, you try and clean up, clean up your life and get back into the pool. But it was different for me now. Um, I started to get lured into a, um, a crowd, a crowd outside of swimming train, swimming that was um, up to no good, um, drugs and alcohol, money, power, and that kind of gave me a sense of escape from my swimming fame, and um, that's where I got um, introduced to drugs and alcohol. And um, before I knew it, um, I was going down a really, really dark road where I actually gave the sport away at 18 years old, and um, believe it or not, I actually ended up getting addicted to. Um, ice and heroin um very hard to believe now um but it from 18 to 22 years old i i battled really really hard with a lack of identity a lack of purpose a lack of love and a lack of connection with others and that that was to me i was i used my same swimming dedication in the drug world and and that's what i did for about four really really dark years and I believe as well, for, for part of that time, uh, from what I read, you were also homeless. Is Was that correct too? Or living on the yeah, streets? And, that, and that's like, yeah, I definitely was. And that's that wasn't because my family didn't love me. Mm. Um, my family were literally told by professionals that your son is too far gone. Um, we can't help him. We actually don't know what to do. I'd had seven, eight attempts at rehab. And no matter what I tried, 
I'd never actually heard a success story of anyone getting out of the drug and alcohol scene. And to make it even worse, like less than 1% actually make it out of there and live an absent life. So to me, there was no hope. Um, to me, I was living this dysfunctional life that um, I didn't know how to get out on, get out of. And my family had to actually outcast me out of home because I was violent. I was um, dysfunctional. I caused them a lot of pain, havoc, caused the community a lot of pain and havoc. So the best thing to do at that time was to exit, ex- unfortunately, exit me out of home. Thank you so much for sharing about that, Dan. Uh, can I ask you then, how did faith come into your life? Was it through one of these drug rehab programs? Yeah, it was. Like I actually was fortunate enough to get recommended to a Christian rehab center, and I actually met someone for the first time, which was an, actually an ex-bikey. He was now a Christian bikey, and he was being clean for 17 years. And um, I actually had an intervention with him, and he actually told me the first words that no professional psychologist or no professional in the drug and alcohol industry ever told me. And he literally said to me, he said, we can help you, bro. And um, that was the first time that I've ever been told that. And he saw something in me that no one has actually ever seen before. And um, he said, look, I've been clean for 17 years. I've got a rehabilitation um, program that restores people's lives. We can help you, bro. And here I am, um, 68 kilos, um, full ice and heroin addict, um, didn't know who I was, had literally destroyed every part of my life. Like I had no one left in my life. And here I go at 22 years old off to um, a Christian drug and alcohol rehab um, and not actually knowing what was actually before me. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a very, very big, but powerful moment for me in my life. And is he someone who's uh, this, this guy that you met, is he still part of your life? Do you still catch up with him uh, to this day? He sure is. I actually work for him now. So he's very, very, very um, big part of my life. But, you know, I, I went to rehab and, and believe it or not, like I've gone to a Christian rehab and um, they were very, very full on to say the least. Like we were doing Bible study every day. Um, we would go to chapel on Tuesdays. We had our own chapel service inside of our program that the pastors and people from the public would come to. And then on Sundays, we go to church um, twice on Sundays. Um, so we were very, very, I've come from this upbringing, well, not even an upbringing, but a life of anti-God and mm. living against him to, to now considering a different kind of lifestyle. And, um, you know, I never, ever seen a life change. And, you know, the program that I was in was evident of the miracle working power of God. Um, and that's what I would see. I would literally see lives changing in front of my face um, that was like so inspirational and so thought-provoking to actually consider the fact that there actually is um, something more to life than what I was living. And so I actually had a jail sentence hanging over my head that was two and a half years. And um, I was actually being let off so many times. The the court system had given me so many chances. And this time it was it. Um, I was on my last chance. If not, I was going to jail. And believe it or not, about six weeks into the program, I had my court sentencing date and um, my brothers in the house were in a males-only rehab. They, before I went to court, they said, can we pray for you, bro? And I was like, look, like I'll take whatever I can get, um, you know, as you do. And they put their hands on me and they, they prayed for me and I felt nothing. I didn't see anything. Um, and I went to court and my lawyer pulled me aside as I've walked into the, uh, walked into the courtroom. And he said, he said to me, he said, Dan, 
two and a half years jail is a good sentence today. Like that was a good sentence. And so I was like, in my head, I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, um, like, what do you mean? Like that's, um, that's a big thing, right? Um, that's a big thing to go to jail. Like I'm starting to experience a clean life. And so my, as I've gone into the courtroom, I didn't know that I could have my own personal relationship with the God, the universe. I didn't know that. And I literally said in my head, I said, God, if you're real, I want one more chance of my life. I promise I won't let you down. And that's, that's a big statement to yeah. make, you know, given the place I was in. And as I go, I walk into the courtroom and the computers on my roll. Um, all the QP9s, the statements, everything that I'd done. And as that was happening, I was a full hard criminal. Like I generally still wanted to be a bad person. Like I generally still wanted to do things. And as, as that was happening, I had this presence come over me in the courtroom and all the hair on my skin started to stand up. Um, tears for the first time in so long started to stream out of my eyes. And it was the first time in my whole life that I'd felt any remorse, sympathy or empathy or even like hatred for my sin. Um, I couldn't believe the person I used to be. And, and this is the thing with God's love. Like he literally looked at me in the midst of my weakness my disappointment, my poor decision-making, the sinful and disgraceful life I was living. And he looked at me in righteousness and actually looked at me with the eyes of love. And for the first time in my life in a courtroom, I encountered the message of the gospel. Um, the redemptive power of Jesus Christ met me in a courtroom. And I, mercy woke me up with the fact that I got what I didn't deserve, which was his love. And I was crying my eyes out. Um, I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, I obviously didn't have that level of articulation at that point of time. But as, as it was going on, long story short, the court case went on and the judge started reading out two, two months jail for this, three months jail for that, four months jail for this. And believe it or not, it all added up to two and a half years. And I was like, I'm gone. And the judge said to me, I'm going to suspend you today, Mr. Smith, and I never want to see you again. And the judge let me off. Wow. Um, and whether you believe in whether anyone believes in miracles or not, like it's, it was a miracle. Like I, I can't explain the reason why I went off and got let off and I went back to rehab and normally go on the run. And then I started to learn about the Bible. Um, I started to learn about the redemptive power of Jesus Christ and there's hope for me and hope for everyone and um, learned about who I was away from swimming. And I ended up spending about seven months in rehab and my life was completely restored. This is the best of FLS for 2023. Hearing about the faith, life and sport of past and present Christians in sport. Now, reminder, to hear these interviews in full, head to faithlifesport.com. Right now, from the pool to the soccer field, my next guest, she represented Jamaica at this year's Women's World Cup and is now playing club soccer in Spain. Let's hear from Kayla McKenna. And with your faith, as you said, it, it continues to grow. I suppose for you with your career in soccer and, and moving around a bit, how's your faith gone through that? And even establishing yourself in a church, uh, you've, you're now in Spain, uh, you've been in, in Glasgow. How has, I suppose, the move, how has that gone along as well? Yeah, that's always tough because I feel like such a big part of faith is the community aspect of it and um having a church and putting down roots and getting involved in a church and, and having, you know, people around you who can 
you know, hold you accountable and sharpen you and you can learn from and, and build community with. And that's really challenging to do when you're moving every two years and moving to a new location and living in places where you don't know anyone and um, trying to figure out where the people of faith are and how you can get involved and, and knowing in the back of your head that you might not stay here for very long. So how like involved do you get? So that's definitely something that I've um, struggled with as I've moved along is, is trying to find, you know, community and Christian community and, and places of faith along the way. I'm married. I got married last year. So now that's something that me and my husband are doing together, which it helps to have him here as well, because we have our own little community, just the two of us. But then on top of that, we also need other people around us. So we just got, well, he's been here a little bit longer because he came here before me, but I just got to Spain maybe two weeks ago. Um, And it's really challenging to find an English speaking church where we live. So that's kind of our current mission is to find somewhere to go to church on a Sunday or a Saturday or whenever we can really um, that, you know, speaks English or that we can understand at least find community and, um, and yeah, continue to grow. Cause that's, that's what we want to do is to continue to grow everywhere we go. Do you still, I suppose, with technology these days, that came to the forefront, I suppose, more so in the last few years during during COVID lockdowns around the world. Is there still maybe a church from your time in Scotland or even uh, back home in America uh, that you can, I suppose, can still connect in with online um, through the internet? Yeah, absolutely. And um, we do do that as well as to like connect online services, church services. Um, I think that we both prefer to do it in person um if possible but oftentimes we can't and so then we do um my the church that my um mom and some of my siblings go to back in chicago um i will log into their services sometimes on a sunday or, or listen to they put them up on youtube so i can listen to services from the past or whenever so um that definitely is another way of doing it as well as you know like uh Bible studies and podcasts that, that I can listen to online, or I even have been listening to my friend's church. Um, they do Facebook live for their services. I've never even been to that church or don't really know anyone at the church, but I like it. So I listen to that sometimes as well. So it's, it's kind of making do with what I have until we find somewhere um, that suits us. Yeah. This is the best of FLS for 2023. Hearing about the faith, life, and sport of past and present Christians in sport. The ministry of Christian surfers is now global, but it had humble beginnings in a lounge room at a house in southern Sydney. Founder Brett Davis shared more. Uh, Here on our episodes, we love chatting with our guests about their life, faith, and sport. Firstly, can we ask you, Brett, uh, where did your love of surfing come from? Well, um, love of surfing, I got to be really honest and say, I think it was about making myself more popular. <laughs> um, realizing when I was in year eight at high school up in Sydney at Kirrawee, I probably had the worst reputation a guy could have had. I was in all the top classes, good kid who was attending a church. And uh, that was probably, I realized, a very uncool image. But the coolest people at school were the surfers. So I've got to be really honest and say, I think popularity to be a surfer was uh, one of my initial motivations for surfing. And with that, and we love hearing from our guests about their faith, obviously you said you were obviously at church at the time. Was church a thing that you did with your family? No, not at all. I don't come from a Christian family, uh, but there was a, 
a guy who was running a, a boys' club at a Baptist church, a guy me, and uh, took me along in my later primary school. And I was fascinated with this club. And I finally made my way into a Sunday school group. But it wasn't part of my family upbringing at all. And when surfing came along, church went. I didn't think those two worlds could combine. Now, can you share, please, more about your story and how you came to faith, Brett? Yeah, for sure. Um, so definitely I made a deal with God when surfing came, he had to go. And I made a deal with God that when I was old and about to die, you know, like in your 60s or something, uh, I would get serious about this God stuff and come back then. But right now I was going surfing. I was, you know, 14 years old. 13, 14 years old, and the prime of life and surfing was going to be the thing that I was going to define myself with. And I was surprised in um, year 11 at high school, I met my first Christian who was a surfer. And I didn't think those two worlds could possibly combine. It's the 70s, surfing was very countercultural, and the world of surfing and the world of Christianities were worlds apart. And so meeting a friend who was a Christian and a surfer had a profound impact on me. And after getting to know him and uh, understanding you could actually be a Christian and still be a surfer as well, uh, that opened the door for me. And he finally conned me into going to church by telling me two things I didn't believe were true. One was there are good-looking girls there. And the second one was the minister said you could leave your board there and you didn't have to carry it on the train. So I went along to the Uniting Church at Cronulla, but I got a third surprise, which was I heard this good news of Jesus all over again and was convicted I needed to do something about that and said yes to him as a 16-year-old way back in 1976. So then with that, Brett, obviously, where did the Christian surface ministry come from? Yeah, the Christian surfers ministry has come from the fact that I guess that first round was me saying, well, for surfing to come, God has to go, was my thinking. And now I've become this Christian and a surfer. But I was a Christian with a little C and a surfer with a capital S. Surfing was my first identity. And after having been a Christian for a year, realizing I wasn't really sold out as a Christian. I wasn't all in. I was all in as a surfer, but I wasn't all in as a Christian. And um, quite the opposite happened. God really challenged me that for him to come, maybe surfing had to go. And so I realized by uh, I needed to surrender my surfing. I needed to be a Christian with a capital C and maybe not a surfer at all because it dominated my life so much. So as an 18-year-old, I sort of made this pledge that I would never surf again if God didn't want me to and surrendered by surfing, which uh, was very exciting and I had this great sense of the reality of God in my life even more so. But, um, yeah, what was I going to do on the weekend? <laughs> surfing dominated everything. And uh, after a couple of weeks of this, the friend who had led me to Christ said, I've got this crazy idea, we might start a Christian surfer group. So I had this profound sense that God was giving my surfing back. But it was, okay, just remember who it belongs to. And rather than promoting yourself, you're going to use your surfing to promote me. And so the little, tiny, fledgling Christian surfers group was launched with a bunch of teenagers in my mum's lounge room in 1977. So Christian surfers started in your mum's lounge room in Cronulla, starting small. But can you please share with us the journey the months and the years after yeah yeah um 
we had no plans apart from next Monday night. Like, what are we going to do next Monday? There was no grand plan. There was no vision. There was no strategy. All we knew is that we were these raw young Christians who were surfers, feeling a little marginalized from the church, uh, from the surf community because we'd become Christians, but sometimes feeling a little marginalized from the church community because we were surfers. And this is an attempt to try and create a group where we could grow as Christians and as surfers and very quickly realizing that we were attracting many people on the fringe of church or their friends who are not Christians at all. And so rather than just a fellowship group for our own sheer survival, it turned into a mission within the first 12 months. And it was called Christian Surfers Fellowship. We dropped the word fellowship because we realized we're actually on mission. Um, I was a very reluctant leader, Graham, so uh, never led anything in my life. was very happy for the guy that obviously led me to Christ would be the obvious person to take the leadership, but increasingly finding myself left um, taking initiative, which was uh, growing me a lot. I don't think I was a very good leader because the group never got bigger than 12 for about four years. And so uh, I think God was growing us, growing me as people. He has to work in you before he works through you. And after being faithful with small things for you know a long time, we started an open house in Cronulla, and that just exploded. Our group of a dozen became 20, then 40, then 100. We probably had about 150, 200 teenagers using our sort of open house, Christian service house in Cronulla. Um, we put an advertisement in Surfing World magazine, uh, which was the only way you communicate pre-internet with the rest of the surfing community. We paid over a week's wages to get that put in. Tracks magazine, which was the surfing newspaper. Uh, Captain Good Vibes, the surfing pig of steel <laughs> cartoon had been just finished up and we had this crazy idea that we would start publishing surfing parables and take Jesus' parables and turn them into surfing stories. And uh, that created a lot of attention. And again, it was a week's wages to put that paid advertisement into Tracks magazine. But other people started contacting us, writing us, and we discovered there were five or six other Christian surfer groups in Australia and then had this crazy notion that we would have a national conference in 1983, which was at Stanwell Tops. And we had about 45 people who represented seven Christian surfer groups around Australia, and there was a unanimous agreement that we would be a national entity. Obviously, someone needed to run that, and I was very convicted about that. So I so convicted, I asked every decent person, would they be the national leader? And they all pointed <laughs> back to me saying, well, you're the one that gathered us. You're the one to be that. And again, a reluctant leader. I was like, no, I haven't been to Bible college. I, I'm not a speaker. I'm not a charismatic personality. I'm not this. I'm not that. Sounds a little bit like Moses, I think. And um, yeah, God was like really clear, no, it is to be you. And so I resigned from my job as a high school teacher to pioneer the Australian movement at the age of 23. Um, and Christian Surfers Australia was sort of launched out of that. The FLS podcast, the faith, life and sport of past and present Christians in sport. Right now, looking back on our 2023 highlights, to hear these interviews in full, head to faithlifesport.com 
One last highlight for this episode comes from Brad Thorne, one of the toughest front rowers on the footy field, reaching the heights in both rugby union and rugby league. He shared about his faith and how becoming a Christian for him started on an overseas footy trip with a Christian roommate. Here on the podcast, we want to uh, hear from our guests about their their Christian faith. And for you, um, Brad, came through a fellow, I suppose, coming to your faith, came through um, the, the help of a fellow footy teammate. Yeah, yeah, Jason Stevens had an uh, impact on me playing with him um, in the Australian side and probably the background. I said we came from New Zealand, but we went to church. We went to Presbyterian Church in New Zealand. And I went to Sunday school as a kid up towards nine and loved Jesus, loved um, going to Sunday school. And um, just, you know, my dad was uh, helped run the youth group. Um, you know, just a little, I remember saying prayers of mum, yeah. Um, at, at the end of the bed, you know, before you go to sleep and stuff. And uh, we came to Australia and um, um, unfortunately we went along to a church. We didn't really feel comfortable there, you know, and um, and we just stopped going. And uh, that's a big change up if you think about it, you know. Um, uh, and, yeah, there's about from the age of nine towards about 15, I've got to maybe go to church at, um, um, Easter or Christmas Day, you know, that sort of family. And then uh, luckily um, some people moved down the road from our house and uh, my parents became friendly with them. They went back, got back to church. My brother decided in his teenage years he's an atheist and um, it was fortunate he had a Christian who was a friend of his in his class and asked them to or challenge them to come along to church and um, three, four weeks later my brother got you know become a Christian yeah. Christian and there was me and um, and all this footy and stuff was uh, taking off and uh, you know I you know uh, God was I believed in God and, and Jesus and, and and stuff but um I hadn't sort of submitted my life to the Lord, you know, and surrendered. And um, yeah, I got pretty uh, loose. You know, like I said, by 19, I was playing first grade. 21, I was playing Origin. 22, I was playing for Australia. And I was on a million dollar contract. You think about that back in the 90s. Three years, it was a million dollar contract. Uh, I was like 22, had a house, had a car with my name on it in the driveway, you know. And, Plenty of ego and um, and just yeah, you know, the life I was living, you know, I was boozing and um, you know, I was womanizing and and um, I was doing all this stuff. The, the more stuff I had, I just wanted more stuff. I didn't really feel uh, the thing that was uh, interesting for me is I had this dream of being a professional footy player. I remember telling my family when I went back to New Zealand as like a 13 year old, I want to be a professional footy player. And um, I was supposed to feel happy and good with all this stuff and I've succeeded and I was feeling empty and I was feeling uh, I lacked fulfillment, I lacked purpose and um, and there was a sadness, you know. Uh, and I just couldn't work, you know, it's a, for me it was crazy. How can I have all these things? You know, and um, and like I said, um, and I knew I'd 
I've fallen a long way with how I was living, you know, compared to how I've been raised. And, and, those, uh, and luckily, because of those earlier years in New Zealand and that, and I guess people around me, but I started to think about God again. And um, When I played, made the Australian side, Jason Stevens was my front row partner. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a Christian. And he really stood out from uh, uh, the team, just how he lived his life. It was a little bit different, you know. We we're on tour, and you know, it could get pretty, uh, you know, could get pretty loose on the tour. You know, we train hard, play hard, party hard, you know. And he, uh, yeah, he had a real integrity around how he lived, and um, and he had a, but I could see a real good way about him, that real peace that that uh, you know, I could I could sense. And um, we talked, we roomed together. We were, played against each other but we became good friends and the key thing I said to him was you know I, I like Christians they're, they're nice people maybe when I'm an old person one day you see old people they just seem to be nice you know they're old you know, look at that nice old guy you know maybe then I'll be a Christian but right now I'm a loose cannon and uh, um, you know I can't I don't want to be a hypocrite you know and um, um, so he said I said, when I change, then I'll be a Christian. And he said, it's when it's when Jesus changes you, mate. It's not you changing. It's, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, God loved us, you know, so much. He gave a son. Uh, he died on the cross, you know, uh, you know for, for our sins. And, um, um, and the hope that when he rose again as well, for, you know, but... Uh, you need to get to know Jesus. You need to, uh, you know, ask Jesus into your life and, and he can change you. And um, for me, I, th- I thought, oh, yeah, okay. I went back. Uh, it was after a tour. I went back for a couple of months. I probably got even looser. <laughs> and um, and I was trying to change, but I sort of had my ways about me. And one morning I got up and uh, I just went, oh, I'm not changing. Uh, and I, I want to, but I can't, and um, I'm going to do what Jason talked about. So I got down on my knees and in my house, on my own, I wasn't at church or anything, but, uh, and I said, uh, quite funny, I said, Jesus, if you're there, I don't know if you're there or not, but if you're there, uh, please forgive me for my sins. Um, done some really bad stuff, done some stuff that's not so bad, but you know, please forgive me for uh, my sins. Please take them from me. And and here's the keys, like the car keys, you know. Come, please, come into my life. Uh, please come into my life. I submit my life to you. I surrender my life. Um, come into my life and, and you know, um, turn, my, yeah, turn this around, you know. So um, once I... Um, said that prayer. I didn't really talk to anyone about it because I just didn't want to be a guy who said, hey, I'm a Christian now. And then two weeks later, I'm, you know, <laughs> making a mess of myself somewhere, you know. Yeah. So um, I, I um, but probably there was there was change uh, that happened um, uh, inside mm-hmm. me. Uh, the way I thought probably the biggest thing was at that point, uh, up until then, it was all about me, all about me. People were way down the line, second. And then God was 
wasn't really thought about too much. That turned around massively from that time. That God started to become very important in my life. You know, you know what, how I was in my life, you know, whatever. Um, uh, others became important, and then and then sort of myself. So that probably doesn't sound like much, but that's a big turnaround when all you've been about is you. Mm. And uh, um, but yeah, I had a roommate. I used to have a roommate with Shane Webke for about five years, and I remember him saying, you know. You know, the guys, some of the guys are asking about me and, you know, what's going on with Thorny. And that really confirmed for me that, you know, um, you know things have changed. And, um, yeah, that's that's where I got to a space where I was around, uh, it was 23. And um, uh, I went forward from there and uh, it wasn't the most popular thing, you know, in that era, that time. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was pretty lonely. <laughs> To be a Christian in the Broncos, um, and but over time, um, I definitely got some, you know, uh, some. Like I said, it wasn't popular. I probably got some uh, some solid banter along the way, you know. Um, but over time, I think there was, you know, uh, respect because I, um, I guess my life changed and. Um, uh, you know, your actions speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're respected. So it was, it was genuine. I cared about the team, played my heart out, and uh, and the different things that uh, I think, you know, the Lord works in your life. Uh, I think uh, hopefully had an impact. Thanks for joining me in this episode of FLS. Taking a look back at our 2023 highlights, a reminder, if there's anyone in your part of the world you'd love us to chat with, please get in touch. For more details and to listen to these interviews in full that you've heard highlights from today, head to our website, faithlifesport.com. And I look forward to you joining me next time. We're back at On The Field together, hearing about the faith, life and sport of past and present Christians in sport in the next episode of FLS.